Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to this session on best practices in investment reporting. This is an important topic. It's a mandated uh, reporting by the state of California, and so it's important that you respond to it in your organization. And we want to cover what are effective ways to do that. This program is, are the other programs in the CSMFO coaching program. They're guided by the Career Development Committee. This is the 21st year of the program. Uh, and Laura Nomura is the current uh, chair of the committee and working very hard with a dozen volunteers to identify topics like this and great presenters like we have today to be of service to you. We're going to be uh, highlighting uh, what are the investment requirements. Uh, you're going to be hearing from Angelica Hernandez about that. Angelica is manager of the policy research for the state treasurer's office, and she's there at CDAC, as you can see. She's got a great background. She really is working on a core set of topics in her research and management responsibilities on bond accountability, on the California Debt Financing Guide, and she is the one with her team who updates the local agency investment guidelines, which are critical resources for doing this work. We're then going to be getting examples of best practices, and Charles Turner, the Chief Financial Officer for the Eastern Municipal Water District, is going to be sharing with you how he has translated those requirements and the needs of his agency into uh, a clear and concise report uh, so that you have a model of, of how you can look at that and do that. And this is, of course, from the perspective of a uh, special district. Uh, but they have $500 million in securities investments and $1.5 in long-term obligations. So uh, you'll see an example from a special district context. We're then going to turn to Tom Juarez. Uh, he came to our attention because people were highlighting, you know, what a clear, concise, and effective report that was coming out of Los Angeles. So we're pleased to have him as chief investment officer for the city of Los Angeles. He's a certified government investment professional. And he's managing a large portfolio. And as you can see in the background there, he's got his screens up. And he'll be telling you just exactly how he goes about tracking his portfolio as well as on the regular reporting for it. And I'm Don Mariska, Master Certified Coach and Director of the CSMFO Program. And glad that all of you have joined us here today. So we're always interested in knowing how we're reaching out to our audience. We find that if people can participate as a group uh, of two or more, the learning, the applications of what comes up is uh, dramatically enhanced. So uh, take a moment and give us this feedback. Again, if you're looking for the presentation materials, they're available online at csmfo.org slash training slash webinars. And then you go to the Agenda and Archives a link, and you'll see in the agenda uh, the materials that are there. And you can use your browser to control the downloading or printing as you wish of that material. So we encourage you to take an opportunity to do that, and we look forward to you getting the most that you can out of the materials that you have here today. And each of our presenters, uh, both Charles and Tom, uh, have uh, links to their actual reports so you can see uh, in detail uh, what their reports actually look like and how they present them to their elected officials. So the minute's up here on our first uh, question, so let's take a look. Okay, 68% uh, of, of you are there on your own. We're glad to have everybody who's joined us, and some uh, in groups upwards of uh, 11 to 20. So uh, pleased to have all the interest in today's session. So with that, I, I want to uh, turn over the presentation to Angelica, and we'll be coming back later. And 
Angelica, let me give you the controls here. So here we are, Angelica Hernandez. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Good morning. As Don said, I'm Angelica Hernandez. I manage the Policy Research Unit of the California Debt Investment Advisory Commission, which is chaired by State Treasurer Fiona Moss. The topic today is best practices in investment reporting. The California Government Code places some reporting requirements on public agencies regarding their public fund investment portfolio. These reports provide information about the investment program and the investment policy to the local agency's governing board, oversight committee where applicable, executive staff, auditors, and the public. Uh, questions about public agency investment reporting requirements have been raised since they were added to the government code. Okay, Don, looks like I'm happy. Yeah, if you if you want to just forward the slides, that's perfect. Okay, so uh, in the next few minutes, um, I will identify the government code sections that apply to public agency investment reporting, discuss the required contents for these reports, and lastly, I'll describe some investment resources that are public by my organization, CDAC, um, that address these reporting requirements. So, um, the reporting requirements and recommendations that are imposed on local agencies can be found in Government Code Sections 53607, which is specific to the monthly transaction report, and 53646, which is the quarterly investment report. Uh, it is important to note that these sections establish a minimum threshold for reporting. Uh, the public agency can elect to provide more information or the governing board can ask for more information than what is required in statute. So the first report, 53607, is the monthly transaction report. And that report authorizes a legislative body to delegate the investment function to a local agency's treasurer. A local agency treasurer is to whom the authority to invest or reinvest funds or to sell or exchange securities has been delegated by the legislative body of the local agency are required to submit a monthly report of transactions to the legislative body. And then the requirement to submit this report it lasts until the authority is revoked or expired by the governing body. Uh, this report is required monthly as stated in the title, um, but what is not specific in code is the contents of this report. And this is the contents of a monthly transaction report is probably the most common question that CDX fields on a regular basis. So while the code is not specific about the details of the report, uh, CDX always suggests to just take a plain read of the code and then provide what you, your agency, feels is enough information to describe or, de or reflect the transactions that the agency has conducted over the past month. Today, we're fortunate to have both Charles and Tom, who will follow up my presentation, and they're going to discuss how their agencies handled their monthly uh, reporting requirement and, you know, providing you some insight into how they satisfy um, this requirement. And while this is not a one-size-fits-all, um, you know, uh, report, it, these two will give you an idea of what um, 
what could be presented to your board. Okay, and, and one of the questions that was coming up as we were preparing this, Angelica, and as people are connecting to this webinar, some of whom may not have current investment reporting responsibility, but are uh, preparing themselves for roles mm -hmm. that might require that. Uh, my understanding is that the vast majority of local agencies, in fact, have this delegation. Uh, they don't have their elected officials directly managing. Uh, so this is something that um, uh, virtually every agency is going to need to be paying attention to, that they have to submit these reports because Correct. they're, in fact, um, uh, required. Correct. Correct. Um, and as we'll talk about in just a few minutes, um, the next report I'm going to talk about, the quarterly investment report, can also be requested to be submitted monthly as well. So oftentimes agencies are submitting one report that contains both the monthly transaction as well as their quarterly investment report that's been requested to be submitted monthly. So, um, it, yeah, it, most agencies appear to have to um, meet these requirements on a monthly basis. Thank you. Yeah. So uh, next, um, the quarterly investment report. So the requirements of the um, quarterly re investment report can be found in Government Code Section 53646B. And what this code section states is that the treasurer or chief financial officer may prepare and submit quarterly reports to the chief executive officer of the agency, the internal auditor, and the governing body of the agency, um, providing information about the investment program. Uh, these reports, um, as I alluded to earlier, um, generally are intended to provide the governing body the ability to meet its fiduciary obligation as a trustee and then to increase the disclosure of the agency's investment activities to those outside the agency. Um, 53-646 is a very um, detailed government code section, which is um, helpful for those who are trying to comply with this uh, reporting requirement. Um, this section states that the um, quarterly investment portfolio, if it's submitted, it must contain specific items. And um, that includes a listing of investments, fund balances, activity, and the return on the investment by the local agency. These quarterly reports should reflect the current positions and past performance of a portfolio um, of the investments for the period of um, time under which the report is gonna cover. Um, the statute does allow, as I stated um, in response to the question, that the governing board can elect to receive this report on a monthly basis rather than quarterly. And then um, the time frame in which this report must be filed with your board is within 30 days of the end of the quarter. And uh, we were talking about this a little bit um, earlier before the presentation started in that um, there is um, a section of code that refers to how the report is presented to the board, and both Tom and Charles will talk about it. And um, the minimum requirements is that it is submitted to the board. It doesn't specify the action the board must take when receiving the report. So it could be an information item, it could be an action item that really is up to the agency and the board and how they want to interact with this report. So the required contents of the quarterly investment report. So unlike the monthly transaction report, government code is very specific on the minimum requirements of the quarterly report. Um, so if it is provided, it must contain a minimum, the items uh, listed on the screen. Um, it also speaks to the fact that um, if the agency has um, funds that are outside 
um, of its of its portfolio, such as um, handled by lay for an investment pool, outside money manager, security lending um, agent. It does specify what information is acceptable to um, include in that report um, to your your body, to your governing body. So. Um, it allows you to submit the statements that pertain to those funds managed on an outside basis. And, and as I said, this is the minimum threshold that is required in the report. Um, it's up to you as an organization or to the governing body if they want more information included in that report. And um, those items could be anything that, that that board deems useful in helping them understand the portfolio and any any requirements that they have as a fiduciary of those funds. Okay. Wow, we are moving fast. So one, uh, we have two uh, investment-related resources that I wanted to highlight today. Uh, the first one is the Local Agency Investment Guidelines. This document is something that my unit in particular works on annually. Um, we actually are following legislation. We follow, um, you know, regulations that pertain, potentially could pertain to investments. And we interact with um, local agency uh, investment officials on a regular basis to understand best practices, understand if there's any changes in how they're handling their portfolios. And what we try to do is put all that information into this handy-dandy guide. Um, and we put it in a question-and-answer format. This uh, document um, was developed really in the wake of the Orange County bankruptcy. At that time, um, public agencies had a lot of questions um, on their reporting requirements that were resulting from legislation that was implemented after the bankruptcy. So the local agency investment guidelines um, are referred to as LAIG, they're referred to as the LAG, um, so if you hear that um, being said, this is this is the document that they're referring to. We no longer publish it in a paper format, but it is updated every year online. Um, it is in a format that if you wish to print it out, which I do, I have it in a binder. Binder is sitting right next to me right now. Um, you can have it, you know, in a desktop version as well. But it is uh, online only at the moment. But if you open up the document, like I said, it is um, it's separated into four four chapters, and the chapter that pertains to our discussion today is Chapter Three, and that is the focus is investment reporting requirements. It's covering much of what I said have said in this presentation, but um, there are specific questions that are in there that may be helpful to your organization. So again, if you look at the page, I tried to include one page um, of the document on the screen but when you open it it has a question and then with that question what we respond with is the minimum legal requirements so we refer you to the code section that pertains to the question and then the most important um, part of this is that you get a consensus recommendation um, in response to your question and the consensus is made up of about eight to ten people who are investment professionals we have public agency treasurers. We have public agency investment officers. Um, in addition to some um, private professionals, including investment advisors, um, we have one tax, tax council, and um, I believe we also have a broker as part of our group. And so you really are getting um, a best practice. Um, you're getting ex 
the result of their experience in handling this situation. So those consensus recommendations are very, very helpful. Um, and at a minimum, at least give you uh, some insight in how your peers are handling you know, this situation. So while we have this great consensus group, um, we always tell people this is not legal advice. Um, and so if you need legal opinion, legal opinion, then we do um, suggest you follow up with legal counsel. Again, this is really just guidance, and it really tells you what your peers are doing. So our next resource. Um, well, let's just uh, follow up here for a couple of moments yeah. on this, because it sounds yeah. like this is a very, very helpful item here. And yeah. I'm curious if you could uh, give an illustration of what's been one of the more nettlesome questions that uh, this panel has dealt with, and uh, just so people get a feeling for what are the kinds of things that you know get uh, well, caught up in the discussion? Sure. So um, the 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 document, the LARG, is separated into chapters, which will kind of give you an idea of the topics that we receive. So chapter one is on the annual investment policy. So in there, there's questions about what what information should I include in my investment policy. Um, also, um, what's the requirement to do an investment policy? I mean, it's those types of questions there. Um, chapter two is actually the fun chapter, that is fund management. And in this chapter, probably one of the most helpful pieces of information is that we have, um, it's called figure one, and it lists out all the permissible investments for a public agency. So we took all those investments that are enumerated in 53601, and we put them in a chart in which you could print out and have it you know, right in front of you. And in that chart, we list the investment. We list the minimum remaining or the maximum uh, remaining maturity requirement, the maximum specified percent of portfolio that is um, allowed to be allocated to this type of um, investment. We listed the minimum, qual uh, the minimum rating requirement. And then we listed the um, related government code section. And so that, I think, is probably one of the key uh, components of this report that would be beneficial to anybody who is managing a portfolio, because those are the types of questions we often receive, you know, are, are these types of securities eligible? And so when anybody has a question about that, we always refer them, look at 53601, and we'll walk them through it, look at 53601. And if it does not say that you can invest in that type of security, then it is not permissive. It's not permissible. Um, our code section, 53601, is, is prescriptive. It tells you what you can invest in, and if it doesn't say it, then unfortunately it means you can't invest in it. Um, so I think that's like a, a good tip for anybody who is questioning if they can do something. If it doesn't say it in the code, then unfortunately it is not permissible. Um, and then chapter three, as I already referred to, is on reporting requirements, which is the topic that we are talking about today. Um, like I said, the contents of the monthly transaction report is a popular question that we get on a regular basis. Um, and then um, chapter four of the LAIG is on uh, treasury oversight committees. And so um, very informative about you know, how do I set one up if you don't already have one. Most I think most organizations have one. I don't know if they're still all using them. I actually sit on my um, county's Treasury Oversight Committee as a as a member of the public, and um, it talks about uh, so in that uh, section, for example, 
um, one of the questions we have is, um, you know, what's the role of the um, of the county of the county treasury oversight committee? It tells you what their role is supposed to be. It talks about your the membership of the board. It talks about who appoints those um, those members of the board. So it can be uh, technical in terms of um, you know responding to some of the requirements of code. And then it also the the way that this is set up, it can be very helpful in terms of just giving you guidance in how to handle a code section. Um, but again, I think I should have put that on the in this presentation. Um, that figure one with the list of permissible investments is probably the biggest um, tool that can be used from LAIG. And I hope that people will take a look at that. Um, we are just getting ready to start um, making changes to LAIG uh, for 2020. And so our goal is to have the updated LAIG up in January of of each year and so what we do is throughout the year we monitor legislation we just had um, the legislative session come to an end and so we're updating on um, the LAG for the um, couple of code sections that were changed or added to uh, based on legislation and uh, what we do is we summarize any changes for the year we summarize that up front so all you have to do is open up the document to the one of the, the first pages and it will tell you what changes um, will be effective January 1st of that year. And then we make the changes throughout the document where we need to so that it's consistent um, with the uh, current law. Um, and then another uh, key takeaway from this, if you're interested, is we have been keeping a legislative history of changes to the investment-related code. And that is one of the back appendices of the document. And that is helpful when you're, when you're looking at it and you're trying to figure out when something changed or why it changed. Um, that um, that history can help um, help you understand that. Okay, so if I'm I'm hearing you correctly, uh, for our audience, uh, they should be taking a look in January at this new yeah. edition uh, yeah. and seeing you know what might be things that in fact they would need to include in their uh, quarterly reports at the end of by the end of March of, of 2020. So there's some very timely pertinent things to be connecting with here. And just so that everyone knows, uh, you know, this, uh, and I'll just highlight it here, uh, this is a hot link. So you can either, uh, you know, Google search to find the local agency investment guidelines, or you can uh, use the PDF and the PDF as a hot link right to uh, what Angelica is sharing with you about uh, the LAIG. Right. So, let, should we move on to the next one? Sure, sure. Okay. So, the next uh, the next investment-focused um, resource that we have is the California Public Fund Investment Primer. And um, this really is uh, a more academic, it's a textbook, more like a textbook field document. Um, it uh, takes an academic approach to explaining concepts and terms related to public fund investing. It's a great tool for someone who doesn't know a lot about investments to get that background. And then the LAIG is more like operational guide when you're actually you know, implementing um, those concepts and um, you understand the terms. Uh, same, cha same chapter three, looks like we always like chapter three to be our investment reporting chapters in our documents. Chapter three of the investment primer also contains information on investment reporting covering a lot of what I said here. Um, this document also has um, an example of a quarterly report, unfortunately not the monthly transaction report, but Appendix B of the Primer contains um, sample, uh, sample investment-related documents, 
And one of those documents is a sample quarterly report. Um, again, this document, when it's updated, so it, it's a little dated, um, but like I said, the, the information in there is really uh, more academic, and so it's terms and concepts, which a lot of those aren't really changing. It's a lot of the laws and regulations that are changing, and that we capture that in the LAIG. So while it says 2009, this document is still very relevant and um, very helpful to a new, even experienced investment um, professional. But we also um, form a group of investment professionals um, that consists of both public agencies and private professionals um, doing a review of it, identifying areas that need to be updated, and then we update it. We are getting ready to update this document, um, but when I say that, we're still got to put our group together and do the formal review process. Um, so both this document and the LAIG are available on the front page of CDX website, so you don't have to dig very far. If you know CDX website, you just go down to Featured Publications on the left side of the, of the page, and you can link to it. Um, with the LAIG, the link never changes. It's always the same link. We just update the document. So, you know, if you have that on there, it should it should still be there, just updated. Um, and CDAC really is a resource in general. So if you have questions and you don't know where to start, you can contact us, and um, we typically point you in the right direction. If we don't know the answer to the question, we will um, we will do some research and help you find out. Um, but again, contact us with questions. We'd be happy to help you. And then um, I've concluded my part of the presentation. I think we are ready to uh, go to a polling question and then on to Charles. Right. Thank you very much, Angelica. And thank you very much for your leadership in helping to provide useful resources for our local government agencies. Uh, they sound like extraordinarily helpful documents. So, so let's in fact go to a polling question. Uh, so if we want you to be active listeners and learners, uh, so uh, let's see how closely you've tracked what Angelica said and uh, click off all of those items that you understand are required to be in the quarterly investment report. Now, these are the ones that are required to be in the report. Not that there might be others that you choose, uh, and certainly there are more than just this list, but here are some um, uh, items. Which of these items are things that are required in the quarterly report? And um, Click off those and let's see what you've uh, come up with here. So if people have questions for you, especially around your LAIG, um, which sounds like it has such helpful guidelines, you, there's an actual contact uh, set of information at the website there for people to, to call up and ask questions if they have them? Yes, they can just dial, they can just call our uh, main line and it will typically be sent to me. And um, we also have a general CDAC uh, mailbox. And so if they just want to drop us an email, again, that will come to me or one of the um, researchers in our unit. And um, we try to respond as quick as possible. So it's worth uh, reaching out to us. OK. So let's see. How did the audience do on their responses? Hmm. Looks good. So yeah. we're, the one that is not required is of course the market uh, summary and investment right. targets. Those are things people might want to include, but if you click that off, please do know that that's a discretionary item, not a required one. So what you'll want to be doing in your reports, as Angelica was highlighting, is really making sure that you nail the things that are required, 
um, and then uh, to look at what are the discretionary items that you might want to add uh, to help provide more context and understanding for your particular audience. And to illustrate that, we're going to go first uh, to Charles Turner. And Charles, so glad that you're with us here. Uh, we'll get you back on the on your webcam here. So you'll click on that and get that set up. And we'll be going right to your presentation. So thank you for joining us today, Charles, and eager to hear how you've translated these requirements and the needs of your agency into practical tools uh, for your decision makers and public to use. Thanks, Don. Thanks, Angelica. It's, um, it's a pleasure to be with everybody here today. And I, I also want to thank Angelica for the work of CDAC because um, we, we definitely here at Eastern rely on the publications you guys make, and we appreciate you guys doing the updates. Um, so we can get a nice condensed summary, and I hope to illustrate a little bit about how we translate what goes on at the state level and some of the changes in the laws and bring that forward and um, make sure that our policies and procedures are current and staying um, in best practices. So, uh, but before I do that, um, I'd love to just introduce everyone to um, EMWD and, oh yeah, and bring my mouse down here first. Um, bring you up to who is EMWD and a little about our treasury group and how we provide uh, reports to our board. Um, so about EMWD, um, we're the largest water district in Riverside County uh, here in Southern California. We're established in 1950. We provide water, wastewater, and recycled water service. And we have a population of about 825,000 people. It's about 555 square miles. And we're only about 40% developed which means we have a lot more room to grow and we have to do a lot of planning here uh, in order to build the infrastructure for the next uh, several generations, uh, which requires us to develop uh, and establish certain reserves to be able to build all the infrastructure uh, over $500 million capital improvement program. So we typically have a large balance of reserves to build our programs and thus we have a need to uh, do a lot of investments for our treasuries to ensure that we're getting adequate returns on our, um, our capital. So that's a little about EMWD, and um, what I'd like to do now is just talk a little about our reporting. I thought I pushed the down one. Do one more. Great. So um, to talk about our reporting, um, we've talked a lot about in our last section about the requirements as it relates to the state rules. Um, but in addition to requirements, there's also a great opportunity when you do your treasury reporting to just share more financial insights with your decision makers, um, your executives and your board. Um, so some of the key takeaways I wanted to share with my section was uh, that the, you're, you're the, as a treasurer or as a financial officers, you have the opportunity to customize your reports. You can meet the requirements and check the box, but you can also go above and beyond. You can provide more insight of what's going on in the markets or what's going on with your district as it relates to your investments. So take the opportunity to do that. Um, that's my recommendation. Um, you also want to share your observations and insights each uh, month and each quarter. Different things are happening in the economy or in the financial markets. So this is a great opportunity for you to share that. There's also ability for you to use technology so that um, in your busy day, you're not having to uh, track down all of this information and reassemble each month or each quarter. 
a lot of technology out there that can help you assemble this data and put together a good summary. And then you can spend your time assembling your staff report and putting concise language to it as opposed to trying to find all the numbers. So we want to talk a little about that for a moment. And then finally, we want to leverage the resources. As Angelica mentioned, uh, CDX provides a lot of good resources. I'm going to talk a little bit about how, um, in our case, we've used some of those resources to tie it back to our investment policies as well as the um, other financial reports, including our CAFR. So with that, let's get into it. Oh, just before you jump into your report, uh, I, I think our audience would be interested to know, since you gave a, such a nice background about your agency and its situation, what are the kinds of things that you were finding your elected officials and, and your public to be wanting to know about uh, your investments that then, you know, is going to drive what you've actually uh, put together here? I'm curious, you know, what, what things were you hearing or, or what things were of concern to your elected officials or public? Certainly, yeah, and I'm happy to do that. Um, so I've been at the district for about 11 years, and during that time, um, what was really vivid was the experience of going through the Great Recession, and at that time, finance was like the topic. Um, I mean, uh, as part of my career, I, I'd say that was the roller coaster of all roller coasters, and having questions every day about where are we positioned, how are we safe, how are we protecting our resources, um, that was top of mind for all officials, as also for all staff. And that, that kind of drove us to think about what are we sharing as far as information so that people feel that their investments are safe. Um, so we started thinking about how do we put together reports that don't just give them a list of assets, um, but give them a, a feeling of where are the investments such that they can recognize that um, our targeted approach to investment strategy is from a safety standpoint. And um, again, back to the CDAC reports, they also reference a lot about that. Your, your primary goals are safety, liquidity, and yield. We, we, we used to just talk about yield. Um, when I came in, yield was sort of the topic. Uh, it was presumed that it was safe and it was liquid. Um, I wanted to reemphasize that safety and liquidity are really the priority, and yield is a is a an important component, but safety and liquidity are, are primary and secondary to everything else. So we re, we kind of recalibrated those based on the, the types of questions our board and our constituents were asking about um, our investments. Um, there's a lot of questions about mortgage-backed securities and things of that nature. We wanted to explain to people that we didn't have those types of products. Uh, there was concerns about agencies at the time, uh, things like Fannie Mae, um, uh, concerns about those agencies. So we had to give them more detail about our exposure to agencies. And I'll show you a little bit about our trend graph in a moment that kind of shows our movement away from agency investments as our, our, one of our strategies um, and why that graph became important. So uh, that really kind of drove a lot of the discussions. Um, and then we've had fine tunings, uh, you know, from time to time, a board member will ask about certain companies or certain industries, and we like to comment about those types of questions depending on who, who's asking. So um, that's a little about where we've evolved from um, and how we got to the type of reports that we prepare for our board. Super, thanks. Great. So um, I'm going to move into just a, uh, walk the group through our monthly report. Um, and our monthly report and tra quarterly reports are uh, very much the same. They uh, follow the look and feel of a, a typical staff report. Um, at Eastern Municipal Water District, we have a five-member board, and we meet uh, twice a month. 
we prepare a monthly treasurer's report and it gets presented to our admin committee and then we present it to our board. Um, it's a receive and file report and, but we are, uh, the, I'm also the treasurer of the board and I can come and answer any questions uh, for the board members if they have any. And from time to time, there are questions at the board. So I'm, I'm there at the ready to answer any of those questions. Um, but what we, how we break this out, oh, and, and as Don mentioned, there are hot links throughout this presentation. Uh, mine is here in this top right corner. There's a link to this actual report. This is our November uh, admin committee for our September report. Um, but this is just a sample to illustrate a little bit how we lay out our report. Um, we have portfolio highlights at the top. This kind of talks about where's our uh, interest rates today and what's our balances and how's our market value versus book, uh, some basic information. But then we kind of get into, this is where we can explain what's happening this month in greater detail, um, what's creating um, uh, interest in the market, as well as what are we doing to ensure safety and liquidity and yield, um, and talk a little about our investment targets. And then finally, we have a performance summary at the bottom. It's a very, very condensed summarized version, but we, we found that this answered 95% of the questions that our board members had, um, and it's all on one page, and it was something someone could read. Uh, they didn't have to go into all of the detailed reports or summary reports, um, and we found it very useful. Um, so this is how we present um, the summary of our report. And then attached to this, we have a variety of exhibits. Um, and this is where we get to the meeting the requirements of the, um, of the investment reports. Um, this sample portfolio summary here is what we prepared for September of this year. And this is a, this is a screenshot actually from um, a system that we use, which is called Simpro. Uh, the Simpro technology has been around for quite some time. We found it's very uh, economical for us. It's, um, it gets all of our consolidated reports and detailed reports prepared timely, something that we can um, update pretty seamlessly with our banks when we're getting our bank statements and update. Um, and also allows us to um, make adjustments as we do different strategies with our investments, such as different pools like LAIF or Caltrust or other investment uh, portfolios. We can adjust that within this to come up with a consolidated view. So we found it as a useful tool. It's very efficient and productive. Um, and so this is one of the reports that comes out of that system. So some of the uh, areas that we, um, this summary report meets our obligations or requirements is areas like our par value needs to be shown. We need to show the market value. We need to be able to show what our book value is. And we also need to show what are the groups or categories, what percentage of the portfolio is shown there. So this kind of hits a lot of those requirements all in one page. Now, in addition, we have the days to maturity that summarizes those by category. Um, and then finally, there's a lot of other requirements that are a little harder to put into a report. Um, and so what we've done is we've put it into this text box here, um, some information that allows us to uh, share with our board that this, this report, um, that our monthly report is accurately reflecting our pooled investments. And it's also conforming with our investment policies, which are uh, within our administrative code for the board. And that is a requirement within uh, the California code. And it also uh, reflects that the district has sufficient cash flow to meet our six month expenditures. And then finally, we, we just sourced that our market values came from our financial institutions. We found that this last sentence was also critical when it came to explaining to our auditors 
for year-end uh, audit as well as periodic review. Uh, where did these market values come from? And then they could tie those out to our bank statements. So we've always found that it's useful um, uh, to include that. And finally, there's just a signature. It's very simple. Uh, our treasurer signs our actual treasurer's report. Um, we've had that question too, is well, where's the signature? So we include a signature block for our treasurer. Um, and then just a little more detail. This is a more detailed report. It can be you know, created in many different ways. There's many versions of this, but this is how we present ours. It's broken into the categories. Um, and in this case, we, we share a little more information about the issuer. Um, in this case, it's the municipal bond issuers. Um, and then we have and also the corporate security fixed in our federal agency floating. Um, it has all those different categories. So you can see it in different ways. Uh, again, we have the par value. We have our market value. And then over here on the right, we have our maturity date. So this is another requirement that you have on a, for all of your um, investments. Um, so we found that this has been very useful. Um, you have some options if you want to include your rating information. So in this case, we have both Moody's and S&P information. Um, and we think that that's also useful given the questions that we have about any particular corporate investment or other types of municipal investments of, well, are they safe? Are they secure? Um, we think a rating information at least is a, the beginning stages of looking at some credit um, questions. Um, and then we can drill in from there. Um, oh, and I jumped to our polling question, Don. Right, here we are. Yes, so what we want to do is uh, get some information from you folks on what do you use as your application or system for your reporting activity. This would be a chance to uh, get some uh, perspective if you're uh, of where you are in your work. And so click off the answer that uh, responds to what you're using and how that's working. If you have any questions about that or you would like to ask our uh, presenters questions about any of the things that they're presenting, please type those questions into the polling, uh, in, into the question function, and we'll follow that. Uh, if at any time you have any sound issues, we did send out a reminder uh, for this webinar indicating you know the best sound quality always comes through the telephone connection. Uh, with the internet connection or the computer audio, that's subject to what your internet connection is and other f sort of factors that are beyond our typical control. So if you're having any sound issues, uh, just go up to the control panel, click on audio, and click on phone call, and come in via the phone, and you'll have a, a you know high quality results in that uh, format. <clears throat> so let's just we're just at the minute here, so we'll close out and see what the response is here on the polling question. So. Uh, Charles, what, what do you see about uh, what your colleagues are up to? Yeah, so this doesn't surprise me too much. Um, I was hoping to see a little bit more of a standalone, the second one, a standalone portfolio plus Excel, uh, but 27% seems, um, uh, that makes more sense to me than a pure standalone portfolio application. Um, uh, most of the people I've spoken to do not have that. Uh, most have the second category. Um, I, I'm a little, a little uh, surprised to see Excel only, only because it is very manual. It takes a lot of time and energy, and there's a lot of chances for error um, and and requirements for corrections. And when it comes to securities and investments, you you need full confidence of uh, your constituents. And I just I get nervous when everything's only in an Excel file. So I would encourage many of the audience to. Uh, consider for this year or coming up soon um, to do some investigation review of the potential of a standalone portfolio application. Um, it really does help in consolidating these reports 
um, ensuring that it's prepared timely and helping you um, have all that information in the right place at the right time. Uh, but having Excel, uh, I'm prone to it too. Uh, the next report uh, is actually a perfect way to illustrate that. Uh, some things in our Simpro application cannot create uh, the visuals that we want to be able to share with our board. So we do that in Excel, but we put all the data into the Simpro system. We export it out. We then um, use that in this Excel file, and then we create all of our pretty graphs and pictures uh, so that we can illustrate these. Um, so this is just an example of uh, one of the exhibits we have showing uh, in the top left corner our investment types. Um, the top right is the book to market valuation. So we can see, you know, where are we relative to the market uh, changes during the last quarter. Uh, the bottom left is just showing our yield for our different investment groups and how is it trending. And the bottom right, we just like to show a longer term trend versus our performance benchmark, which is a three year treasury yield. Um, where are we relative to that? And, um, and then reemphasizing that we're trying to stay on the more safer side, um, uh, but the market has been fluid, and, but we're performing uh, relatively well compared to where the market is, and we're continuing to stay safe. So this is, a, again, one of my key takeaways is you have the freedom to create any other visuals you think are, are meaningful and helpful for your board um, and for your uh, constituents. Uh, this is how we do it. Um, this is some of the graphs we've made. We've tried others. Uh, we've just these were consistently answering the types of questions that our um, our stakeholders are interested in. Uh, the other area that um, that we seem to have, um, and I mentioned it earlier. I'm going to hit page down here. There we go. Um, is trend graphs, and I think it's in one of the guidelines too. Is this kind of show trends is helpful for your um, your readers and your audience. Um, this one was going back to my earlier statements about um, our board and their concerns uh, back in the Great Recession. As you can see in this graph, we had a lot of investments in agencies, and um, we had diversified away from agencies into a more diverse portfolio, and we continue to show all the way back to 2006 just so our board and other readers can see that we have diversified our portfolio. We have invested predominantly in the liquidity side um, to hedge against um, any interest rate rising, uh, but then consistently receiving safety and liquidity through that investment strategy. But then finally, we're getting our yield targets and hitting those performance benchmarks uh, without massive exposure to uh, mortgage securities or uh, agency paper. So those are some of the reasons why this graph is there. It's not that I think people should have the same graph. It's more that for our board, it made sense. Um, and we continue to show that. Um, and it also helps to have on our far right, we show a target uh, for the year. And that way, each quarter, we can explain to our board, we're, we're trending towards target or away from target. Um, and here's where we're at as of this quarter. So again, uh, this is your opportunity to customize and make graphs that you think are meaningful and, and answering the questions that you would typically receive for your group. I think the historical perspective that you're offering here is especially valuable because you get turnover in elected officials. They don't know, you know, where you've been, what you're doing. And I noticed with that uh, graph that you're providing there, it, it really highlights uh, your chops as, as a local government finance professional about, you know, how you're managing things and how that's changing over time and, and what you're doing. So I, I think that there are some of these discretionary things that you're offering you know, can really be beneficial at multiple levels for, for the public and for your elected officials and, and for your own, you know, kind of career uh, of showing what you can do. Well, I appreciate that, Don, and uh, I, I hope our board is also feeling the same way. And 
we, we think it's been very useful and it does, I, I can't um, stress it enough, a, a trend line and great information historical really helps address issues if people are wondering why are we doing it the way we do it or how we adjust it or why are we making these changes. The trend graphs really help in uh, sharing that we're adaptable and moving in the right direction. As the markets change, we're, we're changing. Uh, I think that trend graph is always a good useful tool to have uh, in your toolbox. Um, so maybe segueing into the next area, um, and Angelica asked the question about, um, or, or shared a lot about the local agency investment guidelines. Uh, this is a guide along with the debt or the investment primer I've been using uh, for my career. I've been in public finance for about 25 years now, and I've used the CDI guide for quite a long time. I think I learned how debt worked through the debt primer. I got into the investment side, reviewing the investment primer. And then every year when um, rules change, new investments become available, I look at the local agency investment guidelines to see what are the new rules as to what types of levels of investments we, um, we can make as treasurers. Um, I use that as a proxy for kind of gauging our investment strategy. Um, and then we use that to uh, update other guiding uh, documents here at our district. So I just want to illustrate kind of how does that work. Um, so we review the uh, figure one table, and that's the allowable investments. And it sets forth all of the investments, you know, how much can you invest, um, and how many years of maturity, um, and what's the government code sections and so forth, all summarized in one table. So this thing's very useful. Uh, we then review that and consider it relative to our existing uh, positions. And then we reflect that in our investment policies. This is a codified in our administrative code. And we each year review the investment policies, we review what's permissible, and we make changes from time to time if we see that our new investments that we think might be uh, useful for our portfolio strategy, we can add those. But to do that, we have to amend our investment policies, um, and we go to our board to amend. Uh, there's also a requirement to each year review and um, adopt either a resolution to affirm your existing investment policy or just reflect that you're making changes. Um, so this is a great place to start, in my view, to start with a figure one and then review your investment policy. And if you're not going to add anything or make any changes, just go back with the resolution to affirm your investment policies as they are, that they're consistent with the government code sections set forth here on figure one. So then once you have those pieces in place, we take it the next step, which is we're able to use that document for our CAFR um, compliance with GAS 40. And uh, so for many of you, I know that um, you're also not just preparing investment reports, you're preparing lots of financial reports. Um, and one of those would be your annual CAFR. Um, uh, your note two to your CAFR is gonna be your cash and investments. Um, and you're gonna need to specify how your investments are authorized by the California code. Um, this table might be very familiar for, uh, for many of you. And um, it sort of flows from figure one. So for figure one, you get to um, this is what you're allowed to use. Uh, your investment policies, though, say this is what for our agency, what our limits are. And then in this note two of our CAFR, we specify how our uh, specific investments match up with the state uh, requirements as well as our investment requirements. And then here they all are summarized in our CAFR. Um, so this is just one way in which you can use these different resources. And again, I reiterate to leverage the resources. Uh, there's so many great tools out there at the state, uh, as well as your uh, other agencies like CSMFO and CMTA that can help you in preparing your reports. 
um, and also helping you customize them so that it matches what your agency needs. So with that, Don, I think we're doing our polling question four. Yes, thank you very much. Great information thank you. and wonderful examples. Appreciate it. So let, let's see what the response is to our audience here about what they're doing with regard to their uh, investment policy um, and permitted investments and how they're managing that. So take a moment to uh, indicate what your approach is on, on handling that. What what I'm seeing from your uh, presentation here, and of course people can take a look at you know your whole report with the link that's uh, in the PDF uh, for this uh, presentation. But in, in total, uh, about how long is your uh, your quarterly report in the number of pages that you might be submitting? I know it could vary depending upon you know what's happening in the quarter, but just to give people a sense of you know the scope. Yeah, so Donna, for us, it's um, it's really what we shared on this PowerPoint. It's pretty streamlined. We have the staff report. We have maybe seven or eight pages of um, of statements showing all of our investments, and then the summary pages in the front, and then we have two or three pages of graphs um, that are additional exhibit. Well, collectively, it's maybe twelve pages long when if you printed it all out, and um, it's it. If I, if I imagine myself going back to doing it all in Excel, uh, it'd be a little daunting because it's a lot of, a lot of uh, pieces to be moving around. It's definitely doable in Excel, but I think every month preparing it in this way would be uh, quite a challenge. I think we've been able to leverage some technology to help us streamline that effort. But um, we, we keep it relatively short. We're also not a very active investor in the sense that we don't buy lots of securities every day. Um, I know that uh, Thomas is going to talk about that from the city of LA. They are a much more active investor, but um, their report, I presume, is much longer with their list of transactions. But uh, ours is a little bit more buy and hold, and um, we don't have too much turnover in our group. So our portfolio is a little shorter just because we don't have a long statement of investments. Okay, sure. So uh, a couple comments about what you've seen in your colleagues' response about their investment policies and how often they they update or uh, post them? Yeah, so it's good to see that almost 70% of uh, uh, pollers are updating their investment policies or permitted investments in the last 12 months. 15% um, at sometime between one and three years ago, and then almost 20% or three years ago or don't really know. Um, I would encourage those in the bottom two categories to take a peek at it, look at, um, what's in there and then go back to this figure one and re-examine what are the permitted investments and make sure there's compliance that's occurring, make sure that it's uh, contemporary, that the types of investments that are being stated are matching with what are the current investments. Um, sometimes the language can be stale and it's not even applicable to securities that really are in the marketplace or are uh, considered um, desirable within a, a portfolio of your type of agency. So you want to bring that current. Um, and then I also think, though, that given that 70% are done in the last 12 months, it shows that people are following uh, the requirements, which is really great. Uh, but we can we can all do a little bit more given there's 30% that are a little bit uh, staler. I want to bring that current so that uh, we all know that we have um, contemporary standards. 
Okay, and I think your practice of, of even when there's no change, of just stating, reaffirming the uh, policies that you have is a good way to be sure that you've covered all the bases. I, I, I agree. Uh, I think it's helpful for the board to at least know, um, as well as the other uh, audience members, including our auditors, that we we check in with our board and um, reaffirm with them that these are the types of investments that they're comfortable with. It's ultimately they're the fiduciary in holding these funds. They need to be comfortable that these are the types of investments that they're comfortable with. Uh, having them even just affirm the investment policy is just a statement that they're comfortable with the types of investments you have um, and any restrictions you have that are, um, are the same or beyond uh, the requirements that are within the uh, California government code. So I think it's a great standard. Uh, I do recommend that other uh, groups use it. Okay. Well, well, thanks so much. And just before we turn to uh, Tom Juarez, uh, Chief Investment Officer of the City of Los Angeles, I just want to mention Tom came to our attention because uh, while the City of Los Angeles is huge, and some of you may say, oh, geez, how could that be at all relevant to your organization? Uh, we were really impressed that uh, it had a very concise uh, and clear report. And so whether you're large or small, uh, Tom's got some important insights to share with you. Uh, so, Tom, thanks so much for joining us today and look forward to your presentation. Sure. Well, thank you, Don and uh, Angelica and uh, Charles. Great, um, great intro into not only the statutory uh, requirements, but um, you know the uh, Charles, your um, individual investment reporting. So, <clears throat> um, I am Tom Morez, the uh, Chief Investment Officer here with the City of Los Angeles. Um, I've been with the city for about 15 years. Um, current role of about 10 years. So. Yeah, a lot of uh, interesting times. Charles uh, touched on the Great Recession. It seemed like uh, we were up in uh, either council chambers or committee uh, rooms um, in a perpetual fashion. So uh, interesting times. So with that, we'll uh, we'll get into. Oh, what happened there? Is that you, uh, Don? Uh, no, me? I think you just hit it a couple times. So if you just go page up, it'll take you back, or I'll I'll guide it back whichever way you'd like. Yeah, if you can, I think I lost my cursor there. Okay. There you go. Okay, oh, no perfect. Thank you. So this morning I'll be providing um, the overview on the legal and fiduciary standard. Um, what information we include here at the City of LA, or feel that it's imp what information is important. And then, of course, um, the lesson learned, um, you know, over the last several years. Um, I won't go into too much uh, on the legal and fiduciary standard, only because um, Angelica seemed to have covered that quite thoroughly. But nevertheless, um, I'll, I'll provide the overview of how we look at things here at, in Los Angeles. So 53607, um, as Angelica mentioned, there's no definitive um, uh, practices on what is required um, on a monthly report, um, but the, here at the city we believe the following um, should be included, which is the uh, issuer, the transaction type, whether it's a purchase or a sale, uh, the security type, uh, meaning if it's um, a treasury, uh, an agency, commercial paper, money market item, um, the identifier or QSIP, um, the trade date and settlement date, the maturity, and then the uh, the par. Um, over to the right there um, is more on the uh, on 
the quarterly reporting if you should choose to do so, and I won't go on through each bullet point, but um, you know, as stewards of, of taxpayer dollars, I think it's imperative that we um, at, our, at our respective agencies provide the public with um, a monthly report, preferably a monthly report, if not a quarterly report. It just removes any sort of ambiguity that you know what we do or what your individual agency is doing with with again taxpayer dollars okay there we go thank you so this first report is um, straight from um, our our reporting our monthly reporting it's a sample of a transaction report um, and from the previous slide, it, it basically hits everything. Um, as, as discussed, it includes the issuer there to the left, um, the type of transaction, which whether it was a purchase or a sale. We actually do some transferring too from our shorter term or longer term rather uh, reserve portfolio into the uh, shorter uh, core portfolio. And we'll get to that in a minute here. Um, the type of security, um, it is abbreviated, but I, I'm sure most of you can get the gist of that. It's uh, either an agency or commercial paper, corporate, et cetera. The identifier itself, um, of course, uh, trade date, settlement date, maturity date, and then the current par value. Next, oh, is that you, Don, or is that me? I'm not touching anything here. <laughs> uh, I think it's just uh, recording a double entry from you, but there we are. We're back on the quarterly report. Okay, there we go. Thank you. So the the quarterly report um, is it, it is precise on what's required. It includes the uh, issuer, the uh, type of security, the coupon, maturity par value, and then the current market value, and um, Charles did touch on this. Um, it's, it's really important that folks see, or especially elected officials or, or constituents for that matter, are aware that there is a difference um, between, say, par value and market value. Um, a lot of people believe that, well, you know, I bought you know, X amount of, of a security. I don't understand why the market value is different. Um, and this allows you or, or anyone for that matter in your, in your area to provide an explanation on um, why there may be changes in the market value. So this next report, um, so here, I guess I should back up a bit. Um, here at the city, our general pool consists of two portfolios. Um, primarily the, the core portfolio, which is our short-term portfolio, and it's utilized to meet the day-to-day the -day expenses or liquidity needs of the city. And then right below it, you'll see another portfolio, same kind of categories. That's our longer-term reserve portfolio. So <clears throat> the you know starting with the top there, it um, provides an overview on the securities that are within the core portfolio. Um, it includes a description, par market value, and then the overall percentage of, of the general pool. And then if you scroll further to the right there, you'll see the um, total average days to maturity and then the weighted years. Um, the same goes for the portfolio below the, the um, reserve portfolio, which 
um, as you can see, if you look down towards the bottom there, um, U.S. Treasuries. So in this particular reporting month, we had roughly about 42% um, in U.S. Treasuries. Uh, we did have holdings and treasuries in our shorter-term portfolio as well. Um, however, um, the bulk of the treasury position was in the uh, was in the longer-term reserve. So um, the current market conditions. So probably about 10 or so years ago, um, our monthly report consisted of primarily um, holdings. Um, it did include performance and um, other, you know, other measures of, of performance, um, including, and I'll get to it in a minute, um, both uh, total return and book return. But we would get quite a few questions. Again, going back to the, the Great uh, Recession on, you know, uh, trying to get an understanding of why rates were where they were at the time, short-term uh, treasury rates or um, intermediate treasury rates. So we believed it was important um, to provide basically an economic and capital markets overview um, in our report. So to the left there, as you can see, we included, or we choose to include, um, you know, key key elements of the economy, including GDP, you know, gross domestic product, uh, uh, unemployment, and the consumer price index. And to the right, um, it, it speaks to more of uh, the current state of the capital markets, primarily through the FOMC um, that provides guidance on short-term short interest rates. So for this particular month, um, it goes into detail on what, what the Fed is thinking, um, and it kind of gives insight on you know, what, what may be down the road, so to speak, in terms of short-term rates. Will they be you know, staying neutral or uh, easing or, or tightening um, of, of interest rates. And again, it just kind of gives a better overall picture uh, of what's going on. So this next slide is an overall characteristic view of the general pool. Um, it's much more condensed than the slide of a couple, a, a couple ago. Um, it shows our just our core and reserve portfolio, and again, just the the market value yield, um, the average weight of maturity, and then credit rating. Um, that happens to be the um, S and P credit rating, not Moody's. But again, just a, a much more condensed view. And a question came up here, Tom, uh, from our sure. audience, wondering about the uh, the credit rating. Uh, notice here that you're doing it as an aggregate across your uh, core portfolio and your reserve portfolio. Uh, what was your thinking about doing that? And we noticed that in, in uh, Charles's case, he did it by individual security. What, what was your, you know, how could you illuminate why you made the choice that you did and, um, and, and how that, could that help our audience as they think about whether they do it by security or they do it, um, you know, overall? Sure. So, so we do provide both the Moody's and S&P or Standard & Poor's credit rating within the report on the individual holdings report. Um, however, we, we chose to do an average credit rating, um, especially following the, the downgrade of U.S. Treasuries by Standard & Poor's back in 2010. I believe it was 2010. Um, because there were questions raised at that time, you know, are, are we at any risk? This is by the elected officials. 
um, because of the cre credit downgrade, how does that affect the overall portfolio? So again, if you look at the, the average credit rating, and this concludes the, you know, the scope of what we invest in. Here at the city, we invest from short-term money market items to longer-term single-A uh, investment-grade corporate bonds. So if you look at the aggregate, it, it comes out to that rating, a double-A-plus rating. Okay. And another question that's popped up here is people were wondering, why do you include uh, both book return and total return? Yeah, and I'll, if, if I may, if I can get to that in one second. Yeah. Or would you good. like me to go ahead and give that overview now? No, no, now? no. Go right, go right ahead. Go right ahead. Okay, sure. Just have that in mind as you're covering the next items. Sure, of course. So, you know, as, as we all know, um, our mandate is safety of principle, liquidity, and then a rate of return. So this is a nice uh, uh, graph that we include in our monthly report, and it provides our liquidity schedule. Um, the tenor is anywhere from less than 30 days out to four to five years. So, um, you know, based on this reporting month, particular reporting month, um, you know, we had over $829 million in, in securities uh, maturing within 30 days, or about 8.5% of the portfolio. Um, and then we had, you know, a, about a billion and change in that four to five plus year range. Again, just to provide an overview on our liquidity and how we're positioned on any given month. Oh, okay, performance. So this particular graph um, includes performance on a total return basis. Um, so to answer the question um, asked, we, we provide both total return and book return or yield uh, or, or yield return. The difference is total return provides more of risk characteristics of the portfolio in that it includes both realized and unrealized gains or losses. So folks might say, well, you know, why do we need to do that? Um, you know, a good case of point would be if you're holding, um, as we all are, um, treasuries or, or fixed rate coupons, and all of a sudden we have a, a, a rise in interest or an increase in interest rates, and interest rates are inverse to that of their price, the value of the portfolio will go down. And again, going back to what we discussed a few minutes ago, um, if there is a par value and you have a market value that there's a you know either a, you know a much greater value or at times a lesser value, it provides an explanation on why that why that is occurring. Again, uh, total return is is great for risk. Um, it shows the the activity within the portfolio on a monthly basis in terms of market value. Um, at, however, on a book return basis, book return includes just the actual gains or losses on any given month in market movement. So again, it's just, it's just a matter of, uh, of providing both the risk side and, um, you know, on, and the return on investment, if you will, on any given month. Hopefully that, that kind of answers the question. Okay, yeah, thanks. Sure. So the next slide is, um, it, you know, again, utilizing the total return performance, we have, um, you know, just a graph there. Um, um, it allows 
folks to, to look at how we've performed. Um, we do here at the city utilize benchmarks. Um, for our short-term core portfolio, we use a three-month treasury bill. Um, and we provide um, how, how we performed over the course of anywhere as short as one month out to uh, five years. And we actually have another report um, uh, that, we, that we post on our website that uh, goes out to 10 years performance. So um, it just, it, again, it just provides a clear um, picture on, you know, how we're performing on any given month and over a great deal or, or a longer period of time. Again, uh, you know, just performance graph here. Um, our reserve portfolio, which um, holds securities anywhere from one year out to five years, um, it consists of um, corporates or and government securities, primarily U.S. Treasuries and agencies and the like. Um, but there is corporate exposure and some mortgage-backed expo exposure. Um, again, they're including performance over the course of um, one month out to five years. So this, this next report I thought to include, um, it, you know, some folks, as Charles mentioned, use um, Excel-based or based on the, the, the questions that were popped up. They use anywhere from uh, Excel-driven um, generator reports to Simpro reports. This happens to be um, a sample uh, investment management report um, provided by Bloomberg. Um, it contains, this, is, this particular example holds our our longer-term reserve portfolio versus that of our benchmark. And um, it just provides a nice overview in terms of how we're positioned versus that of our benchmark. The next report, again, um, is another sample uh, investment management report. Uh, this happens to be our uh, portfolio analytics um, software that we utilize here at the city. Um, the name of the, the software itself is FactSet, um, but there are there are several uh, of these types of firms out there. Um, Bond Edge Analytics comes to mind. Of course, this is FactSet. There's some SunGuard product that would provide similar types of uh, report or generated reports. And you know, we this this again, this is just a sample, but um, you know, I've seen some really nice reports with graphs and, and the like, and um, it just it, it, it it's a nice presentation. Um, again, this is just an overview on our reserve portfolio. It um, you know it's, it shows the you know our exposure whether it's through corporates or or government, which is sovereign um, identified as sovereign here. But again, just a nice uh, nice picture. Um, so compliance. Um, this is a report that is um, in one of our monthly reports. It doesn't happen to be in this, in our particular investment report that's submitted to council. Um, in, in that particular report, we have a narrative um, that states that we are in compliance, similar to what Charles had mentioned on, his, on the footnote of his uh, Simpro report, in that we were in compliance with code um, our investment policy and guidelines. Um, if there is for any reason that we are out of compliance, uh, we provide an explanation of it. But uh, in, the, in the last several years, none that I can remember that we've ever been out of compliance. But this is just 
um, a nice um, setup or uh, table that provides a nice overview and showing that we were indeed in compliance. Ah, know your audience. Um, believe it or not, we we actually uh, use that that uh, formula there to the left. It, it is a measure of convexity. Um, the treasurer at that time asked that we include um, formulas such as this. Um, we were providing this um, overview to some elected officials and others within other departments within the city. And um, she asked that we include some, some formulas, uh, including this. My recommendation is do not do this. Um, this it, that, that picture below um, pretty much sums it up. Uh, I, I did look out of the audience, and I got a lot of that when I, when I was looking out there. Um, I prefer to just, uh, you know, just either give a brief narrative as, as to the right there, or just to give an overview um, when I'm presenting on exactly what we're talking about. So just just something to think about. Um, this next slide here is our dashboard um, that we actually provide within the department. Um, we believe it's um, important to provide others within within our department on what we're doing in, within the investment division. Um, it provides uh, a nice overview, including the market, current market view, um, current interest rates, um, anywhere from out, from three months out to the 30-year treasury, um, various economic statistics. Um, to the right there, we include some commodity prices like gold and oil. We do get asked that quite a bit, as I'm sure all of you do. Um, equities. And then we, we sum it up with our current assets under management. And again, we provide this um, on a weekly basis. So just to sum up things, um, again, I cannot stress enough how uh, important it is to, to report the investment activity. Um, you know, uh, my preference is on a monthly basis. I know um, Charles had mentioned, you know, there's not a lot of activity, but nevertheless, you know, it, it's just that it's out there. Um, it, it, it reduces the likelihood of folks thinking you're trying to conceal something or, um, you know, there's just not a clear understanding of what's going on with ta their taxpayer dollars. Um, ideally, it's, it's posted as soon as possible. I know here we actually have our investment report administered by our investment advisor. Um, so we, we, we actually did at one time um, do our own reporting, but um, I just felt that it was prudent that we kind of had a hands-off, if you will, um, to our investment reporting, and uh, we actually have an advisor that, that does our reporting for us. Um, you know, again, the information should be easily understood and explainable. You don't want to be putting um, crazy uh, formulas up there, as I, as I showed on a couple slides ago. Um, it, it just, in my view, it's just not a good thing to do. And then, of course, you want to stress uh, the primary objectives of safety, liquidity, and, and a rate of return um, in that order. So, again, um, just so folks have a clear understanding. Um, there is a link down below um, that provides, uh, you know, our investment reporting. I, I believe we have September up there now. Um, but if any of you should have any questions, by all means, I think, Don, you have 
my contact information. I'll be happy to ask or, or, or answer any uh, any questions that you may have. Super. Okay, Don. Thanks so much, Tom. Uh, we can't uh, leave you here without looking at the screens behind you there. Uh, <laughs> could you just describe for our audience how you uh, track what's happening with your portfolio? And I think you use those screens as you do it. So you just just take a moment, if you mind, to illustrate right. you know how, how what you do. Right. So, so hopefully, I'm sorry to get off camera here, but the screen here to uh, here, this is to my left, is um, it's just a overview of the the current treasury market. It includes treasuries, um, commercial paper, uh, Fed funds rate. Uh, I get an economic update on, on releases, and then to the right here, I use this to just kind of monitor rates in general. Um, that would include anything from the Americas to um, the EU to Asia and Pacific. And I'm sure most of you, if not all of you, have heard in, in recent um, discussions about negative interest rates. Um, we've, I've been asked that question by uh, a few on the governing body here at City Council on, you know, if there is a, a fear, if you will, uh, of rates going negative. Um, Personally, I don't see that happening. I, I hope that never happens um, here, but uh, you know, it just kind of just gives a nice overview on what, where we're at these days. Okay, super. Well, let's go to the polling question here. You've heard some uh, good advice from Tom about uh, things that he's learned in doing this over the years, and so uh, give you an opportunity to respond to the polling question and highlight um, which items you think would be desirable for your agency uh, to undertake on this topic. It, and while it's happening, let me just uh, go to a couple of uh, polling questions here. And in fact, these polling questions um, are not just uh, for Tom, so this would be actually a good time to bring back the rest of our of our crew on camera here. So if uh, Charles and Angelica, you could come back on, um, that would be great. Um, we'll look forward to covering some of these. So one of the questions is, uh, I think it was Charles. You were you were having the QCIP uh, codes in there. Uh, the question is: Is reporting the QCIP required under the government code? And uh, if not, why did you choose to put it in? Yeah. So this is Charles, um, it is not a requirement. Um, you just need to identify the securities. And so, um, as far as I know, there is no actual specific requirement for a QCIP number in there, um, it, but you do need to describe what the security is. So one way to do that that's very um, helpful, uh, particularly for um, the outside individuals now uh, being able to just Google search a QCIP number. If you put a QCIP information in there, they can search it, they can find any more detail. Uh, they can also go out and find uh, secondary trade information if they wanted to and investigate and research more about that particular security and market values and whatnot. Uh, so I I think it's useful for um, um, for any reader of the report to have the QCIP information, but it is not a requirement. It's purely elective. Um, and in our case, we download our information from our, um, our custodial banks or the list of all of our securities. The QCIP information is in that uh, statement, that report from our custodial bank. Um, and it can easily be populated into our Simpro system. It can also easily be put into an Excel file. Um, so um, I see uh, no harm in including it. Um, it's just, I guess, a question of uh, format and layout and um, 
how much information you want to put onto one detailed sheet. But I think it's helpful to have. Okay, great. We've got some more questions here, but I just want to acknowledge the uh, polling question results here. Uh, Tom, clearly the audience resonated very strongly on all the different suggestions that you were making uh, about how to conduct their uh, investment reporting. So uh, thank you so much for those details. Uh, sure, that's great. We've got some more uh, uh, questions that are coming in, and we have another polling question before we finish out here. But uh, the most important thing for our audience is what they do with this information. So we ask you to take some time after this session uh, to uh, discuss what improvements do you want to make in your investment reporting and your investment policies, et cetera. It has some strong and helpful suggestions from our, uh, from our presenters today. And uh, what ideas from the sample reports would you like to consider to enhance your reporting? Um, we did, in that regard, have a question uh, from one of our audience members. Uh, if those links that you provided, uh, Charles and Tom, uh, do they also have samples of the monthly transaction reports? People were, you know, you've focused on the quarterly investment re uh, reporting, but are the monthly transaction reports samples there available too for them to look at? Charles, how about you? Yeah, sure. Um, it so happened that in that September period, we uh, did not have any transactions, so. Uh, there was no uh, no settlements nor purchases, so there wasn't a detailed report in that exhibit. Uh, but it's um, um, it's another report which is uh, available from our Simpro system. It's just another attachment uh, that's provided um, when we do have trades. Uh, so that in that particular link, it did not have one. Yeah. For, so for the September report, as really with every monthly report from the city, we. We do have transactions on a monthly basis, um, and, and it, there is a sample there. I believe it's, uh, you know, l later in the report, the report is roughly about 32 pages, give or take, on any given month because of the amount of transactions and um, the size of the portfolio. So we do, I think we, I believe it's the page 16 to 18, somewhere around that, that, that area where the transactions usually begin. Okay. Great. So you can see examples there for things that you can use in your own agency's uh, transaction and quarterly investment reporting. Super. That's very helpful. Uh, we've got some more questions that are coming in. Let me, though, uh, go to our final polling question so people can do that while we're answering this question. And that is we're eager to find out, you know, how you got value out of today's session. Uh, so we can give some feedback to our presenters and uh, all of us who worked on uh, putting this uh, webinar together. But most importantly, for you to uh, reinforce for yourself uh, what it is that you want to take away uh, from today's session. And that's the most important thing of all is, is how are you getting value for yourself or for your agency and how can you put that into practice? While that's occurring, we have another question here. Uh, uh, Tom, I think you teed this one up by showing the average credit ratings. Uh, people are wondering if you do that, uh, what is your practice? Do you need to count uh, uh, weight and duration of the investment in your uh, credit rating average, or, or how do you go about coming up with that information? As I understood from your presentation, you actually provide item by item uh, credit ratings, but when you do your summary, people were wondering how did you uh, put that together? Sure. So, so the, again, the average credit rating is is looked at the general pool from you know on a weighting basis from um, you know one one day out to five years. Um, and again, primarily since we do include um, 
both treasuries and then investment-grade corporate bonds. Um, that's where it really gets skewed um, on why we include the, the overall rating and feel that it's important to do so. Um, so we do we do look at the weightings um, and duration of of the entire um, portfolio. Now now that being said, we don't give a particular score per se, like uh, as a rating agency would um, Standard and Poor's or Moody's, where you know if you hold a AAA security out to um, you know two years, it's it's rated a certain score, and if it's if you're beyond two years, the score diminishes. Um, we just look at the overall ratings. Okay, great. Thank you help. very much. Sure. So let's um, let's highlight a few things here. We see that value was gained in many dimensions from today's webinar. Glad that's the case. We ask you all to participate in the post-webinar survey, uh, and we'll be getting out uh, the information to you where you can find the information and and contacts. You'll see that a new uh, person has joined us on the webcams here. Uh, I want to explain that, as some of you know, uh, I've informed CMFO over a year ago that I'd be concluding my work as director of the coaching program this December. It's time for me to create a new chapter in my talent story uh, with service to some other important social causes of interest. Uh, so I want to give special thanks to CSMFO, its leaders and staff, all the volunteer presenters uh, like our great ones today, and coaches, and especially Mary Bradley, who has uh, championed the coaching program from when we began 21 years ago with a handful of attendees uh, through to the present when we are serving over 3,000 attendees each year. So CSMFO is committed to continuing the coaching program and has arranged with GFOA and Craig Lesner, whom you're seeing here on your webcam. Give them a hi there, Craig. Um, on its staff to produce and moderate uh, CSMFO's webinars in 2020. Uh, Craig was a former finance director and CFO in Oak Park, Illinois, and also worked on budget and other issues in Chicago. So he lives in and has lived in your world and now works at GFOA, where he serves a wide range of local government finance professionals in their consulting and services branch. So I'm delighted that the webinars will be in such capable hands. Uh, in closing, I'm deeply grateful to you, our audience, uh, for your careers of service to your communities. Uh, I look forward to seeing you at the CSMFO annual conference in Disneyland, where I'll be leading workshops on speed coaching and job interviewing. And uh, best wishes to you all. And thanks so much, uh, Angelica Hernandez, uh, Charles Turner, and Tom Wattis for outstanding work today. And uh, Craig, you're going to have fun working with this group in the future. Thanks so much. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks. Thank you.